Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the podcast for cosmetic, wellness, and business insider knowledge. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, a cosmetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, David Segal, an entrepreneur and a multi-clinic owner in the aesthetic space. We'll cover any topic that makes you look or feel good with long form, unbiased, and unfiltered conversations with expert guests from around the world. New episodes are released every Friday and you can subscribe for free on your favorite podcast app, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure, and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. Happy birthday Day to, to us. You. Us. 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 <laughs> November the 2nd. November the 2nd. You old bastard. 40... Well, hold on. I'm 42 now, right too. Right back at you, yeah. 42. <laughs> this is how dedicated we are. Podcasting at 9 a.m. on our birthday. Hey, for the people. We do it for the people. <laughs> how are you, mate? You had a nice Good. morning? Yeah, I will. Uh, you know, there's no better way to start your 42nd birthday than uh, With throwing, me. B- throwing your back out by coughing. It just... Uh, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Right. Like, what did I do? I just coughed. Well, I've already been lying on the floor with you jumping on me trying to crack a rib or and I just feel a bit locked and stuck today so anyway we're ancient but we're still rocking on yes we getting do grayer it. grayer but better uh yeah silver fox exactly <laughs> so um yeah how's your week been what have you been up to what day is it today it's Wednesday 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 oh just I don't know every day feels the same at the moment since I've sort of stopped working full-time in the clinics it just feels like well, every- what do you do every time I whatsapp you or call you you're never there what what like I'm joking not, well, like- so doing like quite a lot of consulting now so on the phone like zooms with people yeah. phone calls might be doing some drum practice I might be like doing something with a tree somewhere David's drums are in the corner yeah. of our studio by the way guys could be yeah I don't know it's just I, it's interesting because when I own these businesses I couldn't and you know you can probably relate still and people listening can probably relate to you just you've got like this constant underlying state of anxiety saying have i got an email have i got a message yeah you can't what have i got and now it's just like that's stopped taking this cat hair off your chin i've always got cat hair on my face (laughs) um you just sort of start getting used to not having to check your phone all the time and then you just go oh you put your phone down and walk away whereas before you would never do that in case you miss something important but i'm like now there's nothing that's really that important that can't wait until i get important aren't they (laughs) Sometimes yeah. <laughs> depends what you feel. So it's like. been it's been a real nice change, not feeling like a prisoner to yeah. my phone. So what are we talking about today? Well, today's a little bit different one. Um, I think it's still really interesting. So I read a report um, by Allegan Aesthetics called mm-hmm. "The Future of Aesthetics." Ooh, the future. Yeah, it's cool. It, it's not so much about technology or, or, or new treatments. It's more about, I guess, future trends right. and what is driving. What, what our patients are asking for yep. and so on. So it's actually a really um, quite comprehensive, very interesting read. I don't actually know if it's available in, in hard copy. There was only a few copies. Um, they were giving them out at the Allegan conference right. about a month ago called AMAC. Right. But um, anyway, I, if Allegan let me, I'll ask Allegan first. I've got a digital copy and oh, I'm happy to send I'll, to people. I would love to know where they get this data from. Well, I can tell you. Tell me. So they got... I guess a whole bunch of key opinion leaders around the world and right. mainly plastic surgeons, but also derms, aesthetic doctors, um, I guess people, you know, leading what they're doing in their own country, right. Brazil, China, Russia, Italy, Australia, UK, mm. and so on. And then they also engaged, I don't know what you call them. I guess they're like a, a research group, but, but who are particularly focused on technology in the future. So doctors, Doc, like obviously providers of these treatments or consumers no, or so, patients? No, so the, the panel of doctors were, were obviously providers, but there was also another company called Wonderman 
Thompson Intelligence. So you know when you do market research and you engage a company yeah. to actually, you know, I guess collect the data uh, and also, so I guess, research some of the trends. Anyway, so it was like a collaboration of KOLs plus this company plus a whole kind of right. um, trawl of social media and seeing what's trending, etc. Anyway, it's interesting. So that they just captured the data over a four-month period. Uh, this is back in 2021, so it's you know almost a year old. Well, yeah, over yep. a year old now, but still highly, highly relevant. And three of the kind of key, I guess, overriding things were the untabooing of treatments, which is, you know, I guess anecdotally, even in our own clinics, I think we're getting more people coming who are less scared of having treatments. Would, would you would agree you, with that before you left? Or uh, oh, I mean, it's been progressing down that that sort of path for the last ten years. I mean, I yeah. think I've sort of spoken about. The times um, when I first opened one of my earlier clinics in Canberra, which for anyone outside of Australia is the capital of, well, Canberra is the capital of Australia, but it's a small sort of section of New South Wales that was carved out and um, it's like a large country town. It's got a population of about half a million people now, but about 10 years ago, it was much less than that. Yeah. Much more conservative than Sydney. So, you, you know, people getting the very most basic treatments done not real asking brown people. paper bag of cash yeah cash like a drug <laughs> deal going on not wanting to like have people like the receptionists like talk about what treatment they've had or that that they that are there for yeah so i think we've been seeing that sort of move away from being a really sensitive topic that people want to hide and 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 to everyone just saying yeah fuck it i get it everyone else gets it no yeah. big deal here yeah and so i think that we have and it'll continue to get like like everything the normalization of everything uh, mm. after enough time i'm joking side i know you're sort of trivializing it but there there is untabooing of treatments and then they're still being nice and discreet in your clinic just yeah. to respect someone's privacy they're, they're two different things but I, I would definitely say from my perspective even the maturer patients i guess because they've been with me they're, they're more open to did you just make up a word maturer is maturer? that a, is that a word Mature, mature. All right, let's, sort of, we'll let's go back. <laughs> mature uh, patients. <laughs> nah, we got to leave that in. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, guys, we've had too much coffee this morning. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I think even those patients, you know, just because of exposure to social media, friends are talking. They've done their Botox a few years ago, and it's just, well, you know, it's just easier to sort of go down, go down that. Well, pathway of treatments. We're all, we're all sheep, really. At the end of the day, sheeples. Yeah, we follow the trends. If everyone else is doing it, then we. It's okay for us too. So it's sort of like the more people that do it, the more people are going to do it. Which I guess is, you know, just once you're exposed to something and you realise actually it didn't kill you and it was good <laughs> and you got good positive feedback, you're going to do it again, right? Yeah. And, and maybe explore other things. Um, one of the other sort of overriding trends to this report, which was interesting, they called it aesthetic fluency. So it was basically people being prepared, not scared. And what that basically means is, you know, the, the younger generation, the millennials and so on, due to social media, to TikTok, to Instagram, yeah. nothing is scary. It's just they're, they're fully educated about things. They come prepared to consults with a whole list of things that they already know. And, you know, there are dangers with that. But generally, from from an injector's perspective, it's actually nice to speak to people who have some idea what they're talking about. Obviously, it can get too far with the whole Professor Google thing and they know everything. But... It, it's some way nicer because they're more open to ideas and more open mm. to treatments. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I can see that being both a positive and a negative. As you said, people that come armed with knowledge, but not enough knowledge to understand the context or, you know, like a little bit of information can sometimes be dangerous. So I do wonder 
there are positives, but do you find that sometimes it makes your job harder with people who come in and essentially tell you how to do your job and exactly what they want, where they want it, what product they can you want they want to use? Is it? Well, I have to say, you know, I can only speak for my own clinic and myself, and I guess it's dependent on what you put out on your social media and your mm. website. But if you give people enough, but you know, not a full col, you know, not not everything, they know what the treatment's called, what it basically does what the rough expected downtime is and roughly the cost. Like if you can tell someone that before they come, it makes your consult a lot easier. But then they all complain when they get a bruise. No, 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 that, that's just bad consulting. Like if, you, if, if you can't explain to your patient that using multiple needles in their face mm. might bruise them, you know. I still find sometimes people that know all this stuff, they've been getting treatments with you for ages. And then one time they get some horrific bruise and you are like, public enemy number one yeah, they hate look, your guts you ruin their life I, they want I, a refund yeah, and it's like well, yeah i think that's a bit unreasonable but yeah i was spinning it the other way when when they get a bruise obviously i, ha- I hold my hands up and say oh, i'm really sorry about that i don't say i'm sorry about that i say i'm sorry that happened yeah. because it's not i you know obviously i put the needle in but we knew it could happen but i'm still sorry you know i'm still empathetic but at the end of the day i spin it around and say look it's actually incredible how many times you haven't bruised yeah like this well, is the tenth time I've seen you, and, you, and this is the first bruise. Yeah, that's a positive. Isn't there a silver lining? You're getting all this collagen induction and all these sort of growth <laughs> yeah. factors being sent to yeah, the area. Yeah, just on that one spot. Yeah, well, you're gonna have. Yeah, you're gonna look ninety, but your lips will look twenty. Oh look, I, you know, I think if you consult properly, you know, whilst it's annoying and, and it can be disfiguring, it shouldn't be a surprise, and you should never get to the point where they're demanding refunds. That's not reasonable. No, but there um, are some unreasonable people, aren't there? Indeed. Uh, and the third sort of overarching trend of this report was back to nature, as they call it. And, and I agree with this. I think consumers are increasingly um, aware of the environment, mm. of their, you know, their choices, uh, maybe sourcing things that are recyclable, organic, less harm to animals and so on. So that may seem kind of irrelevant to aesthetics, but it's not. I mean, even recently um, uh, with Allegan, um, now when our Botox is um, sort of delivered, it comes on cold chain, but everything is recyclable. There's none, none of these big sort of polystyrene boxes anymore. Even just little things like that make me feel, as a provider, let alone a consumer, yeah. better about what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, we have these massive, almost like, you know, cube things that, what do they do with them? You have to be put in landfill. There's a lot of wastage when it comes to the medical profession. Like think about your time back in theatres. Yeah. With oh, just the insane. bags of stuff that just- And that has to be incinerated because yeah. of um, biohazards. Yeah. So yeah, there, there, there's a definite impact on the environment. Even at the end of a day of injecting, you, know, you go through 10 dressing packs, yep. all the sort of plastic little tweezer things that, to be honest, I don't use. So they immediately go in the bin because you can't do anything yeah. else with them. And it's, it's difficult. I, I've actually looked into sourcing, you know, environmentally friendly ones i don't think they exist oh there's a business if some, idea for somebody yeah well if someone knows one yeah. reach out tell us because yeah. i'd love to use them yeah um but there's a lot of plastic still but you know from a consumer perspective if your clinic can be more mindful of, the th- of these things i think it's more attractive yeah oh for sure i mean i think everyone whether you whether you sort of believe in the whole sort of climate change agenda or not i mean there's obviously you know it's a pretty polarizing topic but i don't think anyone could disagree that putting less pollution into the air and into the ocean is, a, is like, I, I, can't, I can't see anyone disagreeing that that's, a, that's not a good idea to reduce that. <laughs> yeah. I think everyone would agree, but 
no one, or sorry, many people are not prepared to take the individual responsibility to change what they do at home. Yeah. Well, it all starts um, with individuals. I mean, that's, you know, one person won't make a difference, but you need one person to start a movement and that exactly. movement can become something significant. Yeah. Um, did you guys in your in your old clinics mm. ever sort of have these discussions about? No. Really? <laughs> right. Well, Interesting. I, didn't have, I mean, I didn't really have control over that to a certain extent. When you've got... Um, Working within a franchise model, you have to use the products that they tell you to use. And yes. so there isn't really a lot of choice. You've got to use their approved suppliers, mm. which does make it difficult. And wastage got a lot worse with COVID because of masks oh. and Bed sheets, everything's got to gloves. be cleaned and thrown away. Oh, gloves. Yeah. I mean, that was insane. We couldn't even get hold of gloves for a period of time. I mean, you think back to those supply chain issues. It, we still got supply chain issues. But I mean, back then when yeah. you couldn't even get gel for your hands or masks or, you know, just anything. Or toilet paper. Toilet <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> toilet paper. <laughs> Cooking oil. Isn't that bizarre? Out of all the things to go, like people <laughs> stocking up on toilet paper, like it's the most- I, I don't know how or why that happened. That's the one of the best examples of mass hysteria ever. Yeah. It's insane. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so those are the three overarching trends, but th then they break it down into 10 chapters. Right. So let's talk about each one. So first one they call diverse individuality, and you and I have spoken about yep. this on the podcast a lot. Mm -hmm. It's basically about respecting someone's own ethnicity, culture, background, yep. not trying to treat everyone the same. And, you know, the, we cookie, do know, cutter, the cookie cutter face. Yeah, and yeah. Look, we do know these things, but I don't think we do it properly. Mm. Like, you know, your average injector, and even very recently, actually, two quite... Um, Experienced injectors reached out to me and pretty much said, hey, um, I've got a man coming in and I, I don't know what to do. I mean, we'll talk about men specifically, yeah. but, you know, we basically see middle-aged women mm -hmm. in Australia, you know, rightly or wrongly, we basically see white women. Yeah. Of course, there is some ethnic diversity, but really we're seeing white middle-aged women. In you are? Or you think all people? Um I see a small fraction of Lebanese patients, Asian patients. I can literally name about three black patients. Yeah. Um, I see some mixed race patients. But if I had to say what, what is my stereotypical patient, 98% yeah, right. white Australian, 35 to 55. Yeah. And I think many clinics would have a similar demographic, unless, of course, you're based in Chinatown or maybe Western Sydney, where it's a bit more ethnically diverse. Yeah. So... You know, of course, it's very difficult to respect individuality when you don't have the skill or you don't yeah. have the experience to see people. But I think that what's important is when you do have patients coming in who aren't white, you really have to really think not just you know about their facial structure, but culturally and, you know, what what do they want? Ask them. Yeah. Don't just assume things. Well, I guess this comes down to being able to alter your practice, be sensitive to people's natural facial structures, their features, their proportions of those features, you know, forget whether someone's black, white, green, yellow, whatever. Um, you can look at someone's face and look at their features and, and make a sensible assessment based on your artistic eye and understanding what looks beautiful yeah. and what's going to look unusual or potentially detract. And that's something that you're starting to see a lot of as well is like in this attempt to beautify, it almost starts to become a detractor, it actually starts moving in the opposite direction, like these over-exaggerated features, which, you know, I'm not judging anyone. If that's the look that you want, then that's fine. But I don't know if people are aware that once you 
past that point, it actually starts to have an inverse effect where Correct. you start to look more obvious. And you, homogenous and yeah. older, less it's anatomical. Weird, isn't it? It's weird, isn't it? You sort of see these people and you can tell they've had work done and you can tell their skin looks great, but it's almost like you know that it's not real. You know that something's not quite right. You can't actually pick their you age. You want the doubt. They could be anywhere from 30 to 60 years old, but you don't know. Yeah. I, you know you know what I'm talking about? That kind of look, that what's it called thixty. It could be 30 or they could be 60. <laughs> it could be 60 because it's just been so much done. You, you, you can't you can't tell. Yeah. It's the, not that the, they look old, but they don't look young either. The, there's no grace. Yeah. It's just, oh, you've had some stuff done. It, you still want to look 50, yeah. but look fucking awesome for 50. Yeah. But, but you don't want anyone to really go, oh, well, you've obviously had jawline filler yeah. or, or, or a really obvious facelift. It, there's got to be a bit of doubt there, I think. Well, it's, yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see, and we'll obviously get into this, you know, the future of how treatments are going to progress and how much better the technology is going to get. Because it's like, until, unless you can pull off that illusion 100%, which you can't do at the moment, because it's always, for someone who's got a trained eye, even as human beings, if you, even if you don't have a trained eye, we're kind of genetically programmed to be able to pick things out Correct. that don't look exactly You can be right. a, a complete non-expert who knows nothing about injectables, look at a photo and go, that doesn't look normal. Yeah. So, yeah. so I think the technology one day will get good enough where you can actually do a complete reversal or, you know, the illusion of creating someone who looks 20 years younger in every single aspect. But until you get to that point, mm. you can actually just detract. Make, yeah, I think it can go, I think it can detract. And um, we've sort of gone off point Sorry, on this one. Yeah, that's <laughs> but, how I roll. You know, that's how I roll. Yeah. That's how we roll. We go on tangents. <laughs> um, but it's, it's a really important point and, you know, Sadly, we may, you know, we're not like London or New York where we have such diversity that we're almost forced to um, change. Yeah. But, you know, I think populations like black skin uh, models and patients, they're not, they are underrepresented. It's just yeah. obvious. Just look at any of the marketing. Yeah. Um, look at all of the imagery for the last 20 years in aesthetic clinics. It's always been basically white middle-aged women yeah uh, and, and we've ignored men as well and we'll come yeah. on to men so you know in america um there is a real push particularly by allegan to actually not just engage consumers mm. and and showcase black skin um ethnic skin but also try and engage um black and ethnic doctors to drive those trends mm. because you know there's no point in some middle-aged white guy uh, on the boardroom driving this it's got to be from the community itself yeah. So I think it's really, really important. And um, there's actually a stark reminder. I went to a conference recently that was celebrating diversity and they didn't have a single black model. They had Asian, they had uh, Mediterranean, white, um, a man, but no black people. Hmm. So again, you know, these things will hopefully evolve and get better over time. And actually um, there was a black person in the audience. I, I believe she was the only one and we had a chat. She's an injector. Uh, and, and she, she told me she felt underrepresented. Mm. She felt like kind of ignored and a bit stupid. Mm. And I felt, you know, real sympathy for her. So we had a good chat about it. Yeah. Right. Um, so and shout how, out to you. And how are they planning to tackle this? Do you think, I mean, what's the plan to rectify this? I think again, you have to engage Injectors like herself. Yeah. What, what do you think we should be doing? Mm. Um, you know, what would you like to see? She actually reached out to me and, and wants to be put in touch with Isolde, who we did. Oh, excellent. Um, uh, the Beauty of... In um, South Africa. What was it called? Beauty of... Beauty of the World. <laughs> that was it. Sorry. Beauty of the World. Yeah. She wants to be um, put in touch with her because, of course, we were talking about that. Yeah. How to approach uh, African faces, black faces, 
how to culturally respect people when you're injecting them and showcase their features, not 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 change them. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting, you know, because she's black herself, this injector, and yet because she lives in rural Australia, she doesn't have a huge demographic of yeah. people who look like her. Yeah. But even though there's a tiny community, people do come to her yeah. because they're drawn to her because yeah, they course. look the same, of course. Yeah. So, you know, it's 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 difficult to rectify when when everyone's just sort of carrying on the status quo, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess the first step is recognising that there's an issue. Yeah. And then, you know putting steps in place to to sort of rectify it and move in a different direction. But as you said, it's not just different ethnicities. I think men – and I don't think anyone's actually got the man strategy right because it's no. been very obvious for a long time. Well, we're going to come on to that. Yes. Let's talk about the new masculine, as they call this chapter of the book. Right. Um, so according to their statistic, men only make up maximum of 14% of non-surgical patients around yeah. the world, which, I mean, that's quite – Hi, I mean, many clinics, it's less than 10%. Um, mine's about, yeah, I reckon mine's about 15%. It's And of those 15%, what percentage of them are gay versus straight? I think it's... Well, I mean, you're guessing, of course, but... Half, half. Well, yeah. no, I, 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 you know... They're pretty open about... Yeah, yeah. We, we talk about all sorts of things. And, and the great thing or the lovely thing is I'm seeing lots of couples come. Yeah. So middle-aged, you know, professionals... Uh, it's not weird. They come with a husband. He's not dragged along. Mm. He's there willingly. He's often doing, you know, other skincare like hydrofacials, yep. bit of laser treatment, whatever. Not too fussy. Men don't like being fussy as a general rule. Yeah. I, I still think that's true. But um, it's an untapped market. It, it, we're still not doing enough for but, men. I, but I why totally though? Why, why? I mean, I still think even clinics that you, you, you're starting to see now that are trying to neutralize their colors, their branding, their marketing. Yeah to make it less of a barrier to have men walk in or inquire. It still seems that we haven't quite cracked the code yet in terms well, of getting a more equal representation of men getting these treatments. And I don't, I don't know what it is because men obviously care, care what they look like, obviously, because otherwise they wouldn't brush their hair and put on nice suits and, you know, shave and wear a cologne and all that. We do care about yeah. how we look, but I don't understand why we still haven't been able to get a more equal balance between men and women wanting these treatments? Look, up until... I still remember David Beckham wearing a, uh, a sarong. This is about 20 <laughs> years ago, and it made front page of yeah. the newspaper because David Beckham's wearing a sarong. Yeah. And you can get away with anything, though. It's David Beckham. Yeah, well, but my point being that until basically a celebrity does something slightly unusual, back then, really the status quo was men are men, women are women, yeah. or you're gay. Yeah, the, the, everything was quite binary. Yeah. Um, of course, now things have changed a lot. Um, you know, we've got non-binary status and people identifying as, um, you know, whatever. Yeah. So you know, th these things are changing, and and you know, you know, if you go to China or Russia, that's definitely not the case. Yeah. You are a man or a woman. Yeah. And 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 culturally, men. You know, and this report actually touched on this that men will generally not go for aesthetic treatments. For, uh, you know, compared to women because of that cultural yeah. thing. And even like, you know, this isn't controversial. It's true. The Chinese government have literally said, we want men to be men. What does that mean? It means that, for example, they're telling some of their pop stars, you look too feminine. We want wow. you to be a man. I mean, okay. I, don't, I really don't want to misquote this, but I read an article where literally the government was saying, that's not cool. Huh. 
So it's interesting that, you know, just culturally, the, the lines are blurred depending on where you are. And, and we know all about the, the whole woke thing in, in yeah. Canada and America, Jordan Peterson, all these conversations about, um, you know, non-binary status. It's, it's, it's an interesting topic. But when it comes to aesthetics, I, I don't want to sort of get too political here, but, you know, I think we need to respect that patients don't always want to be pigeon boxed as a man. Yeah. Um, and I remember we had Raja Quiller on here, a, a friend. He, I, I love the way he does this. When he, when he meets male patients, he says to them, there's a spectrum of masculinity. Do you want to be cute or you want to be dangerous? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do you want to be a boy band or do you want to be dangerous or in the middle? Yeah. And what he means by that is, you know, you can soften a male face yeah. or you can Hardener. make someone look yeah. more edgy, yeah. more strong, more dominant. Yeah. And it's a choice. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can't literally paint on all of these things, but you can enhance. tone down or enhance. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, and I think we should respect that and we should ask our male patients, well, how do you want to be perceived? Yeah. You know, if you're young and single and sporty and whatever, maybe you do want to look more edgy, more edgy. I don't yeah. know. You should mm. ask a man that. Yeah. But you know, we, we shouldn't stereotype. Mm. What so do you think? I mean, you know, you're a guy who does aesthetic treatment. Yeah. So am I. Yeah. D did you ever have a point 10 years ago where you felt it was effeminizing? No. You just Maybe once when you did my lips and, and I got made fun of. <laughs> well, they're going to be swollen for a couple of days. Other than that, no. I mean, I, cause I, I guess I've been so institutionalized in it because I've been in it for so long. It just seems like normal Numb. to me. It's like brushing your Desensitized. teeth. Desensitized. Yeah. It's just like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll be a model for that. No worries. It's, so not really, but I'm pretty comfortable with, with who I am. And I think you're pretty comfortable with who, who you are as well. And mm. um, I think when you're just in and around these things and it's just so normal, I, I, I think it gets to a point where um, you stop thinking about, you know, whether this is the right thing to do or not for your, you know, your your sex. I yeah. don't know. I, I, I don't know, but I, I, would like to, I would like to understand how we – tap into this market more and how we start changing some of the, the stigma and, and the thoughts that these treatments are not something that real men do. Yeah. It's, um, it's really interesting. I, I wrote an article for GQ recently about, you know, men and aesthetics and stuff. And just from my perspective, and this is, I can only speak for the patients who come to me, you've either got younger guys who just have a bit of Botox. Yep just want to soften things. They can see frown lines developing. They don't want to turn into their mum or dad. Yep. Easy. You can understand yep. that. Um, Middle-aged guys who are you know, a bit like you and me, starting yep. to notice other things are yep. changing. They're more open to filler. Um, they might have heard about it. It's nearly always through social media. Yep. And you know, they don't necessarily come excited about a treatment, but they begrudgingly accept they need a bit of help. Yep. And then you've got another demographic sort of in their maybe even 50s and, and early 60s, where they're maybe quite successful, high-powered yeah. guys, CEOs of companies, et cetera, where they have noticed that they need to preserve their edge when they're looking after younger teams yeah. and they don't want to be perceived as weak or old. Yeah. So those are the very loose groups of men that I mm. see, and I'm sure it's different in other clinics. Mm. But you know, this report basically did touch on those demographics where you're right. We're still not catering for everyone. There, there, there tends to be sort of specific reasons why men come rather than just generally looking after themselves. I found in, in my clinics that when a male comes in with his female partner and essentially the female partner has dragged yeah. 
their partner. This, this guy along with sorry, I but it's almost that, yeah. like they need permission in some ways or encouragement from their partner mm. that this is okay. They're not going to think that they're Anything, less masculine yeah. or that it's just weird for a guy to get treatment. It's almost like that first step. They need their hand Dipping held. The toe. Yeah, with, with their partner. And then it's like, oh, this is okay. Actually, you just reminded me of something. About six months ago, exactly that, a guy came. In fact, his wife made the booking. Yeah. So he didn't even know the name of the clinic, didn't know who I was. <laughs> she had done the research and he came in and he's a sort of Eastern European guy from, I think, Serbia or somewhere. Quite, you know, typical man, if you like. Yeah. And well, he said, yeah. um, can my wife come in? And I said, to be honest, this is a way better process if we just have a chat man on man. Let's just be open, honest. You don't need your wife to hold your hand. He got very upset because yeah. he felt very uncomfortable with the whole thing. He yeah. was like, I don't know what I'm doing. He got a bit angry. Right. And, you know, I stood my ground and basically said, that's fine. If you don't want to do it my way, then you're welcome to leave. And he sort of calmed down and we've become good friends now. And right. like, he, he's lovely and we've done fillers and he's yeah. really happy. And he now comes with his wife and they both have treatments. Right. But it was a great example of how uncomfortable men can feel in that environment because yeah. he just knew nothing. How old nothing. was this guy? Did you say uh, He's in his early 50s, I would right. guess. Okay. And um, you're right. Like it, it, it can be weird for guys yeah because they don't, they don't know anything about it and they're dragged along yet they 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 have the, the underlying motivation to want to look better yeah they just don't know how to do it yeah um yeah. i think i think younger guys are, are a lot more sort of okay yeah sort of you know guys you know my clinics you know men coming in in their 20s yeah early 30s pretty comfortable with it but it's sort of like from 40 onwards a lot of them are like still a little bit more conservative in their views and their self-perception and we can relay that to women as well of course you know millennial gen z don't give a shit yeah they're just happy <laughs> throw it all over social media no problem and that's the whole untabooing thing yeah it's just it's a generational thing well it's like that with everything yeah eventually. exactly um but men are the best clients to have they need more of everything they don't tend to shop around as much. Once they find somewhere, they don't tend to clinic hop yep. as much. I know for myself, I find somewhere I like to go. That's it. I don't want to start finding somewhere else. I don't want to mm. skip somewhere else, you know, because I've got some group on deal or like I find my person. If I'm happy, I stay. I don't haggle about the price. I just- <laughs> I Men just, are simple. Yeah. I, I do find my male consults almost a bit Abrupt. black and white. Yeah. They're, they're very like, oh, hi, doc. I'm here for this. Yeah. And they point at their glabella and, and that's it. Yeah. And it's like, okay. And, 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 and it's sort of, you get straight to the point often with men, not always, yeah. but, but often. Whereas with women, I do find they're much more open-minded to hear everything yeah. before they make a decision, which I guess, you know, biologically. Yeah, there's some get. differences. Oh, for sure. I mean, men are, I mean, generally I find men a lot more binary. Yeah. What do I need? How much is it going to cost? How's it going to work? When can I get it done? Yeah, can awesome. be can be a more yeah. simple transactional yeah. kind of process. Yeah. Um, also, just before we move on, the, the interesting in Carnaby Street, which is in London, the world's first male makeup store has opened. Yeah, I didn't know about it. It's called War Paint, I think. Okay. So um, interesting that you know again. It's not weird. Um, I've put makeup on before. If I've had a spot, my wife, again, my wife will get out the makeup and she'll do it for me and I've got no problem because it makes me look better. But <laughs> it's not something that your average man no, generally can't. does. No. Because we're not exposed. We don't know about it. But I, I guess the lines are blurring now. 
So did this report go into any sort of explanation on what their strategy is to attract more men into the market? Um, I guess basically, you know, identifying all the things that we've just spoken about, yep. it's more about being aware that, you know, some men do want to be men, yeah. some men don't. And of course there are trans what mean, patients, what, what do you et mean? Oh, you mean they want to look masculine, you mean? Or what do you mean? Men? My point being that you could have a trans patient, yep. you could have a super manly man. And, you know, we learn all these things as injectors, like, oh, men like square faces and wide jaws oh, and, okay. you know, whatever. But really? Did, did you ask the patient? Yeah. Did, did you ask... Are you, you know, it's, it is difficult if you don't know someone is trans and they don't voice it to you or they don't tell you their aspirations. But I think in your consultation process, you can ask some of these things yeah. delicately yeah. and maybe not sort of put someone on the spot, but open the door to invite them to mm. be a bit more flexible with their answers yeah. and then, you know, be guided by them. Yeah. Well, I'd like to see how, what the strategy is from a business perspective, not just consulting perspective, from a business perspective in terms of how they're going to market to men if they've got any ideas on how to change the aesthetic of clinics, mm. um, the way that their social media communicates, their website, because there is obviously something that's missing. Yeah. And of some of that is a function of time, as you said, like as things progress and those barriers become broken down yeah. and more and more people get in in engaged, I think that'll happen naturally. But I do think there's still something that we're missing. Yeah. Well, I can't um, remember the name of that skincare company, but they had Brad Pitt promoting it recently, right. didn't they? And it's like, he you looks know, great for 75. How old's Brad Pitt now? He must be. Nah, I, I, I don't know. Is he late fifties? Yeah. It, you know, he's a good looking guy, but yeah. um, it's just going to be a matter of time. The more influencers and exposure and yeah. male models and celebrities yeah. that get involved, it just becomes normal. Yeah. But we haven't really done that yet. Yeah. I don't think. Um, we've sort of touched on this already, but gender inclusive beauty. So this is sort of third chapter of, of the report. And basically it was saying, and I think you've said this before mm. up until maybe 150 years ago, men had no problem wearing makeup, no. um, elaborate clothing, um, using powder on their face and, you know, being well-groomed and, and I guess much more effeminate than we are now. And then mm. I don't know what changed, Yeah, but for I'm the last sure. hundred years, with pigeonholed men as men and women as women. Mm. And it's only been, what, since the 60s, maybe 70s, that there's sort of been this um, sort of drive to equality again? Yeah. Well, everything sort of goes in, in sort of circles and, you know, you have certain things that happen in history that cause almost like a reset in a particular country's, um, what sort I'm looking for, like their social structure. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, it's just ever-evolving all the time. Um but yeah, I think open communication with our ability to um, engage through social media, through all of the stuff we're seeing on like um, TV shows like Netflix, that are, you know, sort of moving towards a lot more sort of inclusivity and, and diversity with, with what we're seeing. Yeah. I think that we are starting to sort of move, well, well and truly moving in that direction. Yeah. Um, but I just think, yeah, everything moves in cycles, I think. Yeah. I mean, they gave some stats here. So 1% of adults worldwide identify as non-binary, so yeah. neither male nor female. But that percent actually rises to about 4% in Generation Z. Yeah. So the younger you are, the more, I guess, fluid you might potentially be. Yeah. Um, they don't really explain why that is. It's just, it's just a fact, I guess. Okay. And so... I guess the inference for us is that brands, even like toy brands and, mm. and skincare brands, there is a move to make things less man or woman, but just unisex. Yeah, you see it with colognes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, because then you're just appealing to whoever decides to pick it up off the shelf. You're not yeah. appealing to a market. Yeah. Um, 
you said before about like how, how do we get men into our clinics i don't know whether having male specific anything is the way to go i've always felt it a bit tacky or a bit weird yeah i don't know um you know if you're offering say botox or fillers or, it doesn't need to be man or woman i mean you see it on some websites you have like a list of services and then male treatments yeah i, I get it because you know men might be searching for whatever but to sort of make it a different thing seems weird. Well, I mean, I, I can't picture a clinic where they've got VB beer in the fridge, you know what I mean, to appeal to the typical Aussie male. But, I, <laughs> but yeah, you know what I mean? Like, but I, I think that just making it less... Well, barbers do that, don't they? They, they often have like man cave barbers with a beer fridge and yeah. so I don't, football I, I, all over there. I don't know whether we need to go that far with aesthetics, but I think just making it less um, obviously feminine and yeah. making it more, as I said, that term neutral, which is it could be... It's not designed for men or women. It's just a nice looking environment that would appeal to everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't actually understand why things were so, f I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I don't like the, the overly feminine clinics because yeah. it just seems tacky almost. Yeah. It's, you just want to be in a nice environment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and we'll come on to sort of um, some of the trends and things that we can do as a clinic. Yeah. But it'd be interesting if, if anyone's got some great ideas on how they market to well if you've got a huge male uh, client base mm. and you've got some sort of secret recipe on how you've done that or what's been some successful strategies we'd love to have a chat with you because i think it's a topic that we've danced around and spoken about on the periphery but i don't think we've actually had a deep sort of dive discussion on how do we market to men who's done it well what mistakes have you made yep. um, yeah um yeah so how, think, yeah. how do you upskill as an injector yeah. to treat the male face yeah. not just men but trans faces yeah. Yeah. Uh, either way yeah and you know we're going to encounter these patients more more uh, commonly it's just yeah. a fact yeah so you know how do you then appeal to that market as well as just yeah. men or women yeah. yeah um so you know i think talking about it mm -hmm. showcasing it um blogging it yeah maybe thinking in your consult process about how you include these people yeah yeah all of that is yeah. relevant. So, next one ephemeral, is ephemeral. ephemeral expression. Do you know what ephemeral means? Yeah, of course. What short, mean? short lived. Yeah, short lived. So, what do you think I'm some kind of philistine? I don't know. What maybe. <laughs> Not sure. Well, this is for the listeners because I didn't know. I actually had to Google it. Um, so, there, this is interesting for me because I'm not sure where, how I feel about this as an injector, but that essentially, beauty is no longer rigid, rigidly defined or long lasting. So, for example, our fillers, you know, last for years now we know that you know mobin studies and mris of faces we know filler lasts for years and years and years and but it doesn't last with the same integrity and that's the problem okay fine but yeah the point was that gen z and, and our younger patients and the tiktok trends i know we sort of joke about these things but actually the point being that people's sort of tastes change week by week day yeah. by day month by month and yet you know, some of our treatments last years or months, and mm -hmm. maybe that doesn't always appeal to our younger sort of crowd. So I was thinking about this. I was like, wow, maybe there's a market for the companies to actually deliberately make shorter lasting. Well, we've already got that coming, don't we? Fillers. Oh, fillers. Fillers. Um, you know, less cross-linking, um, easier to dissolve, less dissolving. And, you know, I'm not saying that that's right or wrong, but just as a trend, it could appeal to some people who could almost use their filler as a makeup, where yeah. it's just their one day gone the next. Right. 
Um, interesting thought, anyway. I'm not yeah. saying it's right. Imagine people at some event, you know, like a Cinderella at the ball. My fellow's yeah. going to wear off at mid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pumpkin's coming. Yeah, exactly. Um, That'd be interesting to see how that would get done, though, because, I mean, it seems like a lot of expense and potential risk, risk well, to depends. go through for something that's so, you know, uh, Yeah, temporary. I agree. I mean, it's just, a, it's just yeah. sort of a concept rather yeah. than whether it actually happens. And they sort of called it low-commitment aesthetics where, you know, like – we were talking about before toxins yeah. that last two weeks. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, you, we're just used to things supposedly wanting to last longer as being better, but actually maybe it's a disadvantage. If, certainly, if you have a complication. Yeah, or you're just dipping your toe in for the first time. Correct. And you don't. I mean, because I think also you know high laser has been trivial, trivialized a lot, mm. um, especially by patients and I guess more inexperienced injectors who yeah. don't really understand that. It's pretty serious. It shouldn't just be thrown around like water. Like yes. th this is some pretty serious stuff. And, I mean, yeah. you know, you, you were just saying before about people looking hyper augmented. Yeah. Well, again, I don't agree with this, but there may be a market one day for some injectors and patients who want to look hyper augmented, but only for the night. Yeah, right. Almost like a, a wearable like filter. A mask. Like a mask. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, could, and what, one of the chapters that we're coming to is the metaverse where people will be avatars potentially. Like uh, Ready Player One, that yeah. movie? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, our concept of beauty and what is normal is basically changing. It's really the point of this chapter of the book. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, there's, there's a generational divide. I, I'm, I'm old and... 42 and i kind of think that beauty is classic yeah but actually many people don't agree with that they want to wear hyper crazy makeup and fashion and you know whatever mm -hmm. that's not my style but it doesn't mean i'm right yeah. yeah so so maybe we can translate that to fillers and aesthetics one day yeah it's Who interesting knows? yeah it's crazy um now this one will resonate with everyone and, and you'll know a lot about this that this chapter is elevated experiences basically yeah. a bit like what we were talking about uh, talking about the ambiance yeah. lux feeling of clinics yeah. and maybe we're not quite there yet here in Australia I don't think there's that many incredible lux venues there's a couple of nice no. clinics but nowhere where you go oh my god this is world class yeah and there are some clinics like that around the world, but they're few and far between. Yeah, but they tend to what, what be do more you like... think? If if you had an unlimited budget, you could do anything with it to appeal to, you know, your crowd. What would you do with a clinic? That's a good question. That's a good question. I don't know. I'd have to sit down and give it some thought. I, I think that. Um, well, what, what were your friction points? Forget the whole franchise thing. Just yeah. what did you notice that you would want to do better if you could? I think that um, this whole concept of creating these clinics that try to be everything to everyone, I think are not going to be the most popular place to seek out these treatments in the future. And I think that they kind of have been because they took what was a very um, minimal, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? They took something that was not done that often. It was often done in secrecy. It was only available to people who were really wealthy or mm. famous or both and created a market that made it affordable for everyone. And so I think that that, that step was needed almost as a starter motor mm -hmm. to really kick off the industry in, in, in the way that we sort of have come to understand but I think now, like everything, and you see it almost with the way people go shopping now. I mean, you look, you walk into Saimaya 
or David Jones for anyone who's listening in America. We might be talking about what's their equivalent over Macy's. there? Macy's. Macy's or oh, anyway. The big department. The big department stores that yeah. try and sell everything. You know, there's these stores are like warehouses. John and, Lewis in the UK. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I, you walk into those stores now, you can fire a gun in there and, you know, there's no one around yeah. because people have like, why would I want to go here? I've got, you know, I can't get customer service. You know, the people that are there, they're not really interested in being there. I'm wasting all this time walking around. I just want to go in and go to somewhere that has exactly what I want. And mm. this whole sort of specialty shopping kind of uh, trend seems to be starting to find its way over to the aesthetic space too. So I think a lot of these chain clinics that try and do everything to everyone, you know, the customer service experience is, is, is questionable or um, inconsistent at best. Um, it tends to become like a, a ground for people to get their experience up as injectors and then move on and start something more boutique. So I think that the first thing is to stop trying to be everything to everyone. I think have a, a simple offering, do it well, do it efficiently mm. um, and offer people the experience that they're after. I think people out there are genuinely wanting to have an experience. It's not just about the end result. It's about how does that place make me feel when I go in there? Am I confident in the ability of the people that are working in this place? Um, it's just people wanting a better experience. There was a quote yeah. that I really liked here. People aren't just buying into a treatment, they're buying into a lifestyle. Yeah. It, it's true. Yeah. You know, when even when you go to your favorite shop, bit a clothes yeah. shop, sometimes the smell, the ambiance, yeah. the the customer service, the, the way decor, yeah. you just walk and you're like, yes, yeah. this is what I want. Yeah. Even before you've even looked at the clothes. Well, I mean, even the way that you're like, you buy something and you know exactly what you've bought because you were there when you bought it. <laughs> and then they spend all this time wrapping it and you're just going to as soon as you get that home, you're Trash like throwing it. that in the bin. But for some reason- You feel special. <laughs> it, feel, it adds to the experience, the way that that thing is wrapped up and presented and put in a beautiful bag that obviously, was obviously quite expensive to produce. And it has nothing to do with how you're going to use that product in the future. Yeah. And it's all these sort of intangibles that I think have been lost in this quest to open up the market and try and be everything to everyone. We've lost that, in, that experience. I, I, I do wonder whether we're being very Australian-centric here because we are dominated yeah. by chains. It's your background. Yeah. I know I'm surrounded by it, but in other countries, maybe it's less so. And yeah. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know whether there isn't a market for these all-encompassing clinics. Oh, I'm maybe, sure maybe, still not, maybe not things just rammed in for the sake of it. Yeah. But I, I, I think the, the purpose of this report and this chapter was that patients are generally demanding a higher yeah. customer service focused yeah luxury type experience, but also molding in wellness as yeah. well as aesthetics. And of course, maybe even anti-aging mm -hmm. and, and that's a sort of separate chapter, but it's not really a one-stop shop, but you can sort of choose whether you want to work on your mind, your body, both, yeah. or just have a peaceful experience, like a really high-end massage. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I've worked at one of these clinics in Brisbane. It was Kylo. It's a beautiful place. Are you still there? Are you still no, there? no, no, no. I, I sort of stepped away after COVID because it just became too difficult. Yeah. Um, that's probably the most, um, I guess, integrated clinic that I've worked at. It happens to be in a stunning hotel. So yeah. it just adds to the whole feeling of it all. Um, How are they going? Do you know if they're still really busy? Yeah, they're busy. They're good. Yeah. Um, you know, I can't speak for their aesthetic component because obviously I'm not there now, but um, it kind of works. But because it was in a hotel, you often had a, 
a very particular you know clientele and how does that work for someone that's there for a few days or a week and you're injecting filler into them that might be leaving the next day like how do you tackle all that stuff so i um wouldn't do for example like the reason i went or the reason they sort of headhunted me they wanted me to do trickier things that they didn't offer for example noses or just total face treatments that they weren't necessarily doing and you're right um we had to make sure that things were in place so people were safe so i would to do a pre-consult before i even went on a zoom sort of make sure there's no one unsafe or unsuitable coming uh i would do sort of higher risk things on the first day i'll still be there the second day and you know i had a, a good um backup I won't mm. mention his name, but local, just yeah. in case, obviously, I was gone and, and yes. someone still, uh, still needed care. Yeah. So anyway, we're sort of going off point here. But I, I do think that maybe there there's a market where, where patients want this sort of hyper-elevated experience mm. and probably we're not hugely catering to that yet. I think, I think um, and I didn't really answer your question, what would I do? And I'm still thinking about it. Um, I told you what I wouldn't do. <laughs> um, I think it's a big risk when you start, wanting to create a concept that doesn't really exist and you think about the infrastructure and the expense that it would cost to create this type of vision. Yeah. I mean, nine out of 10 businesses fail in the first year. Correct. Right? So that's a pretty high fatality rate for new businesses. So to then go out and create something that you might have to invest a million millions of dollars in yeah. is a big risk. And I think that the person that's going to have to do that is someone that's already well established in the industry has a name, has a big following. Maybe it's a couple of people that come together. I think that's probably how it's going to get created for someone who's not injected before or a business person to come in and just try and create this monolithic concept. Agreed. I think I think is going to be really difficult. Agreed, yeah. Because it takes a lot of ingredients to make a successful clinic. It's not just about how the place looks. Yeah. Like who are the people that are working there? Who are the people that own this business? Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, someone like, you know, we think about big names in Australia, someone like a Stephen Liu, someone, someone with that sort of gravitas and, and that sort of uh, internationally sort of recognised um, level of respect, um, maybe a couple of them come together to create a new kind of concept. I know Stephen's just created some, some new rooms in, um, in Darlinghurst and I'm actually going to check them out in a couple of weeks. But I think that's the sort of place it will start. I think it'll need to be done by someone who has that Leading profile, has those sort of access to funds. Yeah. Um, to create that. And then I think you'll start to see other people start to mimic that type of concept, maybe even in watered down versions of it. But I think that's probably where it will start. And I think some of our colleagues over in, in Europe have started to create these types of things over in, in um, the UAE as well. I think there's some pretty amazing places being constructed there. But that's kind of like that culture, very opulent. Yeah. You know, happy to take those kind of big risks. There's a different kind of culture over there. And or on Harley Street with a big clinic already. Yeah, but I think it would need to be done by a big hitter. Yeah, I mean, create. it's interesting because, you know, you think to your average clinic here in Australia, we can't even get our patients to engage about their skin, Yeah, let alone diet, hormones, yeah. anti-aging, yeah. all the rest of it. it yeah. it's, it's very hard to, to integrate because you know, I think in our patients' mind, they, they see aesthetic yeah. and health as completely separate things. Yeah. And, and they're clearly not. But mm-hmm. getting people over that over that hurdle is difficult. Yeah, um, yeah, and I think um, yeah. I mean, I mean, we talk about like, well, you know, Tapan, um, our friend over in in the UK. I mean, he's had a life changing experience after COVID and and embarked on this complete lifestyle change with his health, his eating, everything, and he's now. And it'd be good to catch up with him at some point. Um, if yeah. you're listening, Tapan, hi. Um, to find out how that's going, this new concept in in his clinic with. Weight loss, Weight particularly. Lo- yeah, exactly, and, and overall health, because I think that's pretty interesting concept. Yeah. 
Um, but again, trying to be everything to everyone does have its challenges. Definitely. Well, talking about weight loss, the next mm. chapter, chapter six, was new body frontiers. Now, obviously, uh, we're seeing that already kind of thing with you know sculpture being used in the butt and more body treatments and almost a rediscovery of, of fillers that have been around for a long time. So people hyperdiluting radius. Um, you've got Profilo now. They've got a body treatment coming. I don't think that's any secret. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's already starting to sort of emerge. 100%, but, it, but it's still hugely untapped. Your yeah. average aesthetic injectable patient is doing their face. Yeah. Very rarely do, do we hands. Neck. Necks has only really come in vogue in yeah. the last couple of years and with Profilo. Um, you know, body treatments are pretty rare. Yeah. Um, but also, of course, the devices. And I, and I, go, I know that things like cool sculpting aren't yeah. new, but they are growing. Yeah. Um, so according to this, uh, non-invasive fat reduction procedures grew by 21% between 2019, 2020. Obviously, yeah. then we had the pandemic. Um, and then they expect it to, to grow by another 15% in the next yeah. five years. So it's not insignificant. And yeah, mm. and even for myself, like in our clinic, we don't have any body devices. And I've always wondered, like, how do the successful clinics do it? Because many clinics try and it just... Yeah. Just you don't have that connection with face face patients. They don't they don't recognise yeah. it as for them. It's well, weird. Well, there's a few clinics around in Sydney. I mean, even just up the road from where we're recording this podcast now in Bondi Junction, there are clinics in that centre that just do body sculpting. Yeah, and they've had a crack at injectables. How are they lot. doing? I don't think they're going. I think they went through a phase of capturing a market that was pretty undeveloped, and mm. I think they sort of did well at the beginning. I, I mean, I see them now. I don't know. I hear mixed reports. I hear that it's not going as well as what it used to. Yeah. You know, they've had some issues with these non-surgical fat freezing devices that, you know, I think they work, but you've got to pick your patient really carefully. Correct. There's yeah. been a few adverse um, outcomes that have spooked a few people, a few negative news stories. And then people thinking, well, hold on a second. I get all these areas done. It's going to cost me 10 grand. I might as well get liposuction. So I think that people have sort of been looking at the cost to benefit like ratio. Yeah. And then with all these other, I don't know. I don't think it's done as well as what everyone hoped it would. Well, I mean, I personally found that model just as weird as injectable clinics not doing body treatments. Yeah. Because you're sort of saying they're not mutually inclusive, yeah. which of course they are. Yeah. It's aesthetic. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I guess the purpose of this was um, by and large, if you look at most countries, men, you know, if you think of a healthy attractive man they tend to be still aspiring to having a chiseled six-pack that, yeah. that's basically what they were saying yeah whereas for women it's interesting in western markets you know curves and tiny waists are still in yeah whereas if you go to say brazil and latin america curves and being yeah. fuller waisted and busty are more in yeah and if you look at asia south korea china very petite and slim frame is still yeah. desirable so Again, it just depends on where you are in the world yeah. as to what you aspire your body to be. Mm. Um, and then the other interesting thing, and this is coming, we've seen it with MSculpt Neo, yeah. is that some of the devices on the market now cater for more than one thing. So, for example, it's not just fat melting mm -hmm. or, or reduction, it's body building or muscle building. Yeah. 
plus maybe even skin laxity improvement or skin tone improvement. Mm -hmm. And then some of these devices are even sort of trying to, in I guess, rudimentally improving cellulite. Mm -hmm. So the goal will be to have one device that sort of tackles all four of those parameters in one session. Yeah, Because, you know, the quicker you can do it, the cheaper you can do it, the more market you're going to capture. Mm. Whereas right now it's probably still in its infancy, but it's getting better. Yeah. I've seen a lot of slightly off topic, I've seen a, a lot of people, um, particularly, well, females who've started ingesting a lot of like collagen products yeah. have started to see a reduction in there. This is all anecdotal. I haven't seen any studies to back this up. So no one shoot me. This is just from people that I've like a number I'm of so people. so cynical have, this. I've, well, I've, I've seen, I've seen it <laughs> yeah. um, with my own eyes because I wouldn't believe it unless someone had told me. But I've seen photos of people that had cellulite relatively significant. And then six months later after in like in, in incorporating a lot of collagen products into their diet have started to see it diminishing quite significantly and there's nothing else that's changed mm. in their life. So I don't know. It, um, I mean, I'm, I don't know you because I think I know who it is, yeah. but um, it doesn't make full sense because cellulite isn't necessarily a collagen issue. It's the, it's the fibrous bands that pull down creating the dimple. Mm. So it's like multifactorial. But anyway, I'm, I'm sure, yeah. you know, who doesn't want more collagen? I'm sure it has an impact, but I think with these devices that are going to come in the future, they will sort of be multi-pronged. They'll, yeah. they'll almost go through different cycles over an hour, let's say, yeah. and they'll do all of those things. Yeah. Um, so Exercising helps too. <laughs> well, it doesn't, it doesn't get rid of cellulite, for example. It doesn't. That, that, that's a very no, of course not. physiological help. thing can that help. will happen. It can help, but there's other benefits, you know, like increasing your bone density, increasing your muscle tone, drawing more blood and, you know, repair and growth factors to those areas can definitely help, I think, the the appearance of your skin. You disagree? I think that everyone should have a healthy diet and you're not wrong to aspire to yeah. that, but some things need more help. Oh, I'm, just, I'm not saying you're replacing, I'm saying an adjunct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Uh, this one is so interesting and, and, and useful. It's They call it eth ethics. So the ethics of aesthetics. So we've spoken about this a hundred times on the podcast, but trying to deliberately be a more ethical injector. I mean, the obvious ones are not stuffing people full of filler when they don't need it. Mm -hmm. um, respecting people's anatomy. Um, trying to be more mindful of what you put out on, on social media. No, you know, I don't mean sort of policing everything that you do, but trying to showcase really good work and, and not, showcasing the hyper augmented look mm -hmm. that then drives younger people to aspire to it. And, you know, we get into this sort of debate about what's right and what's wrong, mm. but you know, the overarching thing was think about what you say, cause it has consequences. Yeah. I guess. Um, what do you think about all of that? I mean, social media is a tricky one because you know, even I'm a bit of a dick on social media sometimes, but <laughs> I don't think I ever showcase horrible work. I mean, people can judge yeah. my work, but yeah. you know, I, I tend to stir up more of a controversy about, you know, just a topic rather than people's faces. Mm. You know. So what do I think about the over-augmented look? Well, no. What do you think about what responsibility do injectors or clinics or clinic owners have to basically make our industry better? Because oh. we're in control of all this stuff. Yeah. We can put out whatever we like and there's no police. Yeah. And, you know, whether you're talking about, you know, BBLs, big bums or 
massive implants or overly mm. filled faces. Like there is a consequence to that. Yeah. I don't know. I, I kind of think once you start trying to control that or police that, you, you're creating an issue where at some stage, who's to say what you're promoting is not on trend well, This is anymore. what Elon Musk had an issue with. Yeah. So I think that, you know, I think eventually, I, I, I think as long as it's safe and you're not putting people's lives in danger unnecessarily, that it's not really up to you or me or anyone else to determine for everyone else what is aesthetically acceptable and what isn't. Well, and I'll I tell you, I, I agree, but I, but I, it comes a point where I see these ripple effects. Mm -hmm. For example, my child, my daughter, yeah, you know, so innocent. She's five. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's not on Instagram or anything, but even just things that she sees on YouTube, she's it's molding what she thinks is beautiful or what she should aspire to look like. Right. And, you know, you kind of have conversations and you think, what? Is she what, looking at hyper-augmented stuff? No, just like cartoon characters, right. Disney. But Disney's always been like that. Well, exactly. But my point being that whatever we put out, even if it's innocent in a cartoon, moulds a child's aspiration to want to look like something, whatever it is. Mm. And then, you know, the extreme version of that is, you know, you're watching Instagram, you're flicking through hundreds of clips or reels. Yeah. And as a patient, you know, nothing. Yeah. And then you're, then, you know, we've spoken about BDD so often yeah. that there is a link between these things, but I just don't know what the balance is. Yeah. I mean, and, and, it's you know, a complex topic. is it up to us or is it up to Instagram? I mean, for example, one of the oh. things here was that in Norway now, they've passed a new law that influencers will no longer be able to put an edited image up without declaring it. That's a good... That's reasonable. That's reasonable, yeah, right? Of course. So, you know, I think things like that would, would certainly level the playing field a yeah, bit. Yeah, I think if you're going to put something up that's been edited, people should know. So at least they you know if they're looking at something that's natural yeah. and real. Um, I don't know. I, I just think that you have to let things kind of sort themselves out. I think once you start trying to control things, it's a very slippery slope where one day this is acceptable and then you put systems or processes in place that make it possible to sort of say that this is no longer okay. But like what happens when that continues to sort of build on itself and then where, does, okay. where does it stop? It's sort of like this whole thing around um, differing opinions you know you don't agree with someone well if i don't agree with your opinion then you no longer have a right to have an opinion you know, you're wrong and i'm right and we don't we don't have a discussion anymore uh, yeah yeah I, I think what we're saying is it, it's not about a yes or a no it's about how it's done yeah i mean for example i think that's a really good law um yeah. or should we even allow clinics to have influences full stop it you can always see through it yeah you know you see a clinic owner with an arm around some sort of bodybuilding girl and they're like oh sally came to the clinic today for a treatment and it's just so like lame Trans transparent transparent well, i think, and I think people, people are waking up to this stuff and it'll naturally sort itself out i think that you know the danger with social media is that it can be very easy to sort of catch you in that loop so you you sort of these algorithms the way that they work is that they see what you look at and then they give you more of that and yeah. then it becomes more and more self fulfilling and more. prophecy yeah you just get caught up and you just get the message gets continually reinforced and reinforced okay. Okay. What, I don't know what that was all about. Um, Thanks, yeah, sorry. I don't know. I, I don't think we should control what we think is acceptable aesthetically in terms of- David's very anti-establishment, by the way. No, I'm just, no, I'm I'm just pro common sense. I just, yeah. I, just, I, just, <laughs> I, just, I just think that it'll, the market will sort itself out. I think, there, I think that's a good law around if you are going to put up a, 
an edited photo, it needs to be declared. See, th- this yeah. is where I think here in Australia, where we can't use brand names, it is a real problem that's making issues worse. Well, it's not logical. You literally can't say what you did to a patient on a before and after because you're not allowed. And so that creates this sort of grey blurring of, well, well, what did you do then? Yeah. It's odd. It's just another example. We're making it harder of, for the public to understand. Well, this is just an example of um, government overreach. And I don't use overreach. I think it's just like they're not equipped to be regulating this. And I think it's been a knee jerk reaction to some sort of complaint without actually thinking through the consequence of what that does. I mean, I, I, I guess yeah. because it's aesthetics different, because, you know, it would be weird to then promote every scheduled drug just because the law says you can. You know, that, that that's the reason why. You're not allowed to promote what we call in Australia S4 drugs. Yeah. So they're prescribable medicines. So but everyone's getting around it anyway. I know. It's just, I don't know. It's just stupid. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's, you don't want to open up the floodgates where you end up like, you know, sorry to all our American listeners, where you'd be sitting watching like daytime TV and you get like- Antipsychotics. Bom- bombarded with all these <laughs> pharmaceutical drugs. Um, that's not good either. No. But I, I think that the lack of transparency, particularly in Australia, with what you can and can't say around patient education is counterintuitive because you're forcing businesses that then to use- other words that everyone knows what you're talking about. I lost count of how many American injectors messaging going, what the fuck are you talking about? What's yeah. Biory Muddler? Like, just say the name. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's annoying. So, I don't know. I, I see both sides to the argument, but I think that we probably need a more common sense approach to it. Yeah. Um, because it's, I think the thing is you don't want to be looking like you're being uh, soliciting and saying, come and get this drug with me. But in terms of like advertising, what it is that you actually do, what it is that you sell and what your, um, well, the photos that you're putting up, your, your case studies, your examples of your work, you should be able to say what you used. Mm. <laughs> it's like, well, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. Um, the other angle to this eth- ethics um, chapter. Can I pronounce it, get a word that's easier to pronounce? Ethics. Eth ethics um, was, you know, this isn't really an ethical thing. I guess it is, but um, the counterfeit products on the market. Oh, yeah. You know, there's clearly a market for this stuff because I get messages every day from random pharmacies trying to get me to buy their products. It's it's actually crazy that the market seems so big. Yeah. But clearly it is. Well, there's a market for fake everything. Yeah, but, you know, when you think, Jesus, these are drugs that you're injecting into face. It's different for a handbag. You can sort of get your head around it, but not counterfeit drugs anyway there is a market and and the point being that this is actually a problem and and one uh figure they gave was in a chinese study they estimated there are eighty thousand illegal aesthetic clinics in the country more than four times the number of legitimate ones that's that's very worrying yeah in china um and they are noting there's a problem with counterfeit products particularly in Russia, but also the UK. It doesn't surprise me because a lot of, uh, you know, here in Australia, we have to buy from the provider like Allegan, Gadama, whoever. In Europe, you buy from an aesthetic pharmacy. So the the company supplying the product isn't involved. So you get all these random sort of Mm -hmm. online pharmacies, basically, where you just buy all your stuff. And that's totally normal. There's counterfeit. All, I mean, all, there's so many counterfeits for everything. I mean, they've got like a fentanyl epidemic in America at the moment with all the fake fentanyl that's coming in. I mean, it's horrible. I mean, well, yeah. it's, um, yeah, I don't know. It seems that wherever there's an opportunity to make money, people will, will come up with 
counterfeit products. Yeah. And once you start dealing with dangerous medications, it's not good. Well, we touched on this in our um, Disasters and Solutions yeah. with Cormac. There was the suggestion that the toxin injected into that patient we discussed was counterfeit. Yeah. So, you know, there are direct Do you think people are, are willingly injecting this into themselves knowing that it's fake or have they been tricked? Because that's kind of uh, – if, uh, uh, if you're buying a counterfeit product and injecting it into yourself – or you're giving it to patients and they're fully aware that it's fake. I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying. <sighs> I don't I, know. I, I don't, I don't know, know. I don't know what's more concerning. I, I, I think the answer is it's probably all of the above. Yeah. So you'll have clinics knowing that they're buying, knock off the wrong word, but not from a reputable supplier because yeah. it's cheaper. Yeah. But there will always be this doubt of, well, is it the actual thing then? But they're yeah. willing to take the risk because it's cheaper. Yeah. I mean, that that's sad, but it's just a fact. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it has a lot more consequence than buying a fake Chanel handbag. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So anyway, so just an interesting one. So, um, I mean, do they sort of say like what their strategy is um, around that? Well, or I mean, they don't give a strategy, but they're basically saying, you know, the more and more um, – bad work in inverted yeah. commas like the over augmented faces that not all of us but many of us think is less good for our industry mm -hmm. um the more it's harder for trusted practitioners or maybe more yeah. skilled practitioners to sort of stand out because your average patient goes i don't want that yeah because they think that's what fillers are yeah they, they yeah. don't they don't know right from wrong and that's been an issue right from the beginning hasn't it yeah especially when our techniques are a lot more you know not as good as they are now. I think yeah. that you, 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 we did have more. I think the overall quality of stuff that you're seeing getting done is in, is getting better. Yeah, for sure. I think there's less terrible injectors. Mm. I think there's more good injectors, and there are terrible. <laughs> it just depends where you're looking. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's like everything. There's good and bad in all industries. I, I, I yeah. think um, this is real anecdote, but the the big lip thing seems to have calmed down here in the eastern suburbs. <laughs> they're still around, but they're just not. Not as prevalent. As obvious. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, just as time has gone well, on, even the patients have realized it's probably not what I was aiming for. Well, you know, if enough injectors say no, because it goes against the aesthetic that they want to be creating, because it's also, you've well, got to think about it from your business perspective as well. That's your brand. Well, this is the crux yeah. of, of this chapter. It's that you actually have to maybe be an outlier and say no. Yeah. And also not just say no, but but voice that on social media to balance, you know, the argument. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it's it's about, I guess, standing up and being ambassador for whatever you feel is right. Yeah. But actually not just do it, but say it and, and teach people about yeah. it. I think it'll naturally go that way. We always do this. We go too far with something and then we start coming back. It's just human nature, just this pendulum effect where you go from one extreme to the other. So I think we've gone down the hyper augmented look i think that we've gone oh shit maybe we shouldn't be doing that maybe i should not i should not be providing treatments that i don't agree are doing that patient justice and if there's a provider out there that wants to do it then that's fine they can go there but i think that more and more injectors become more confident in what they stand for and are more comfortable saying no which is also a difficult thing to do as well a lot of it is injectors may feel a certain way but they're not sure how to deal with the consequence of saying no to a patient in a way that's not going to create like a negative Google review or some bashing it's on social media. Hard. You it's know, you say no to someone and they, you know, five minutes later, they walk out your clinic, you know, they've blissed, you know, sent, put up some horrendous um, 
review about you. They're blasting you on social media. You're arrogant. You said no to them. You're, you know, all this. And I think that I that, guess that's part of, of it day, as well. If, if you're happy to have Google reviews, you've got to take both sides. You've yeah. got to, you know, let's hope that the, the negative ones are very few and far between. Yeah. But that's, that's you've got to play the game. Well, I think the more injectors that start leading this trend so the the brave ones and the and ones with maybe a bit more of a profile that say look i'm just not comfortable doing that treatment anymore yeah i think that you'll find other injectors will start to say it's okay to say no mm. and so and so does it so maybe i should if that's the way i feel i should do it as well so i think it you know every movement starts with the first person and yeah. i think that the more and more people like yourself and other high profile injectors who start saying look i'm not comfortable with that yeah and are open about it it'll start creating a movement where it will just kind of sort itself out. I yeah. think that you'll always get those injectors who cater to that minority of people that want to look a certain way and that's okay. Yeah. But I think the more people that sit on the other side of the fence, it will balance it'll out. sort of balance itself out, I think. Definitely. So chapter eight of the report was called the digital lens. Now talking about like selfies. <laughs> well, partly. So, so the whole pandemic sort of showcased how the zoom boom yeah. made people very introspective of how they look and and sort of changed how they perceive themselves and we we saw this big drive for people coming for aesthetic yeah. treatments because they didn't like how they looked on zoom yeah and and that had never happened before because never had so many people been on what they call the digital lens. Yeah. Normally you have meetings in person. Yeah. We have a conversation yeah. like this. I'm not judging my face when I'm talking to you. You're judging my face. But as soon as we do a Zoom <laughs> with a guest on, on the podcast, yeah. I'm telling you now, you know, you occasionally look at your face and think, yeah. hmm, not, not entirely sure if I'm happy about that today. Yeah. So it's an interesting thing that has really only happened since the, the pandemic. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. That's what we needed. More insecurity. Well, well I mean, you know, you Zoom a lot. Yeah. Did you ever feel that yourself as a patient as well as a... Con a oh, for sure. For sure. I'm my own, my own harshest critic. Right. And cl but, closely but, followed by you. But, did, yeah. <laughs> but did, did it make you seek out things? Did you do more treatments? Did you... No, nah, because I'm already so into it. I couldn't possibly you're, do anymore. You're hyper-augmented already. <laughs> couldn't do anymore. No, nah, you're a good, good looking guy, mate. But no, it's true. I, I think we, we've all felt that when, when you're on a Zoom or, or some sort of digital conversation, you are more critical of yourself. Of course. And it's become a thing. It's not, well, you also it's not a quirk because we're online more now. Well, you're also... You know, the things that you see about yourself that you hate, other people mostly don't even notice or yeah. as not a bigger deal as what you think yeah. that they are. And we focus on that a lot. Yeah, definitely. Um, but the interesting thing was that um, younger patients, and, and I see this myself, when, when they come for a consult, their motivation will often be, I don't, I don't like how I look in a photo. Yeah. Whereas, such a generalization, but your more mature patient will say, oh, I don't like how I look in the mirror and I just want to look a bit younger. So even the motivation for why patients come has been driven by, you know, Zoom or, yeah. or digital means versus yeah. mirror. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's, it's really interesting. Well, photos are only 2D as well. So you're not really even getting the full kind of effect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, the interesting thing was that they sort of spoke about this glimmer of hope in this whole trend that with TikTok versus, say, Instagram, um, Instagram is generally, well, up until very recently was photos. I know it's reels now, but they're trying to sort of do the TikTok thing. But I think TikTok is much more authentic in that people were doing sort of very 
home sort of made unedited sort of funny things where they're not necessarily trying to look their best whereas instagram is still about the influence of the posing the filters the curation and so the glimmer of hope was that the younger people who are generally on tiktok i mean i know we all are but tends to be a more of a, a younger crowd are less inclined to curate. Yeah. That, that was like the takeaway of this topic. But do they not have Instagram as well? Of course, and the lines get blurred yeah. and, and you've still got filter function on TikTok yeah. and so on. But I, I think it was more about sort of trying to be your authentic self mm. by, you know, trying to be more of the TikTok vibe rather than the perfect Instagram vibe. Yeah. Weird. This, this, yeah, the social media world is a weird one. I mean, do you think as time goes on, and this is kind of getting onto the metaverse, which is the next chapter, but do you think filters will some become so good that we'll even filter videos to the point where we don't know what's real and what's not? Probably. And then you pu- they'll probably work out something where you can filter yourself in real life. <laughs> well, we, you know, we've got, um, what's that app where you basically change your face and you face can basically, swap. yeah, face swap or whatever, you know, um, what do they call them? Um, deep oh, fakes. Deep fakes, yeah. I mean, they're getting so good. Yeah, they can make, they can the, create stuff from anything. The, you, you don't know what's real anymore, no. basically. It's bizarre, isn't it? It's a, yeah. It's, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not sure how I feel about it, but I, I, I think my, you know, translating this back to aesthetic clinics is please be authentic. Don't tweak your photos and try and be consistent with your lighting. Showcase realness. Yeah. Because... If you don't, you, you, you're sort of blurring the boundaries of, of expectations and ethics, I guess. Yeah. And potentially making life more difficult for yourself because you're creating unrealistic expectations for your patients. Yeah, definitely. Now, the metaverse. What is the metaverse? Do you know what the metaverse is? Um, I've seen Ready Player One. So what is that? So I've that, not seen it. Um, so isn't it like this world where you can exist virtually i think isn't that kind of what it is so it's like a virtual world which is kind of weird because i've had some interesting thoughts on this at certain times and you think (laughs) if you believe in any form of afterlife at all and this is just a soul in our body and this body is just a skin for now and we we continue to exist in some other form then isn't this kind of a metaverse we're in right now um the Matrix kind of concept. I thought you were going to say that if you could sort of basically have an avatar running around on the metaverse, you basically live forever. Yeah, but ha- like, I mean, maybe we're avatars right now. Maybe. <laughs> Who knows? Jake, Jake's like, it's too early in the day yeah, for this yeah. conversation. Red pill or blue pill? <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, translating this to uh, aesthetics and yeah. stuff. So basically the metaverse... Um, What's the guy who invented Facebook? What's his name? Uh, Zuckerberg. Yeah. Zuckerberg sort of describes the meta, the metaverse as being the new iteration of the internet. It will yeah. be a whole paradigm shift in how we live, work and shop and everything. Right. So, so you're right. It's like a three-dimensional space where people can kind of walk around as digital versions of themselves. Or you don't even have to be yourself. You could be any, anything. You could be an animal if you want. But you, but you literally live through there. So you shop through the metaverse. So you, 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 you see yourself walking into a shop, you buy your trainers, they're delivered to your house, right. but you're not physically doing it. Yeah. Um, you could buy property on the metaverse. I don't, I don't understand how or why that works, but it's already big business. Yeah. Um, anyway, so translating this to aesthetics and what clinics might do, you might have virtual consults through the metaverse where you can actually kind of interact with your customers, but not physically, but, 
digitally, right. but not through a Zoom. It's weird. Yeah, right. Okay, so they'd be like a hologram? Or, they, or you could have a shop selling your skincare after having a digital consult through the metaverse because you can actually see and examine their skin somehow. It, it, Crazy, it, isn't it, it? Yeah. I mean, I, I think this is still probably one or two decades away before it's like normal. Yeah. Um, I've actually got a patient. She actually designs spaces on the metaverse. Oh, really? Yeah. And she designs it for mainly conferences huh. uh, for the medical world. So she logged me in and I found it weird because it felt like a computer game from like the late 90s where right. it was kind of okay, but a bit basic. Yeah. So you sort of walk around this uh, environment I can't remember what it was now. And you can sort of go up to things and click on things and you get like some text or audio, but it just felt very wooden. Yeah. Like right. very boring and soulless. Yeah. But you imagine the more and more people who are on there and interacting with you, it's almost like taking social media to the next level or even dating or anything. You yeah. Know, you can imagine how some of the apps that we currently use will sort of be crazy upscaled to That's like the nuts, next version. It? It's weird. It is. But, but, then, my, the, but the point being that Gen Z are going to find this very normal. Yeah. Whereas we won't. We'll be like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> <laughs> I just want a conversation and a cup of tea with David. <laughs> I'm, I'm, st I'm starting to appreciate how like when I was, you know, 20 years younger than I am now, you know, how when, when you someone were. like my age would say, oh, you know, have all these ideas about things and you start, no, I'm now that person. Yep. I'm now that person that like. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, but even uh, taking things one step further. So paying through cryptocurrency yeah. will be completely normal. There'll be, everything will be paperless, yep. seamless. Mm -hmm. Everything will link together. Booking systems will talk to each other. Like everything will get easier. Yeah. But kind of maybe more unsafe potentially mm. thinking yeah. about all these hacking things and data well if your whole life feeling well i mean this digital world where you you know i've seen these data breaches here in yes, australia it's every it, day now. optus had got a got oh all demolished. of them medibank optus uh every day i'm hearing yeah. about them it's, yeah. it's actually quite scary and actually if you're listening and, and you do use some sort of booking system or, or computer um, clinical system, make sure you've got factor two um, verification when you log in, if, mm. if it has that function, because you don't want your, your patient data being stolen. That would be absolute disaster. <sighs> so we, we, we've discussed it as a clinic just two days ago, and we, we've we've turned on factor and two also, verification. And also, where do you keep your clinical photos? Yeah, exactly, all that <laughs> kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, you know, it's, it's kind it's of- It's actually interesting. interesting. Some patients have actually started to ask that, I've heard. What? The da data security around their photographs and, Fair and files. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, especially in the last few weeks where they had a couple of bad incidents. Yeah. Now, chapter 10, this is one that's right up your alley. The end the of aging. Giddy up. End of aging. <laughs> so we, we kind of touched on this when we were speaking about Tapan's clinic and wellness, yeah. but do we need to really, really think about this as aesthetics clinics where we just stop messing around with the superficiality of our face and our body, but actually think about, literally slowing down or stopping aging with some of the things well, that are coming. I feel like what we're doing now is just throwing band-aids yeah. on things. And I think we've but discussed I, but I, this before. I think we recognize that that's what we are doing. We're not kidding ourselves. No, but I think we, we for a little while got sort of stuck in that paradigm of like, this is how we treat aging, mm. but it's, it's reactionary. A lot of the time people aren't 
you know, this whole concept of collagen banking, which you make a lot of fun of me about, which is fine because <laughs> I'm not sensitive. Um, like that's starting to become more trendy now. People recognizing that just because you don't look old yet doesn't mean you shouldn't be doing things now to, to slow it down in the future or, or make it not happen at all. Yeah. And then you've got the other side. We've had this discussion with um, Stephanie Manson Brown from um, the Science of Aging. Yeah. You know, Allegan are doing, and you know, talk to people like you know Professor David Sinclair, and so we are, and we've spoken about this. You know, this convergence of anti-aging on a cellular level. What does that mean for injectables on a superficial level? Do they still have a place? And I think you know, you were like concerned that you know you're not going to have a job anymore. Uh, and, I, and I think that joking aside, yeah. that's way off. But that, you yeah. know, th there's potentially. A, but it won't a stop point. enhancements. I mean, you can stop aging, but if you've naturally got flat cheeks. And you want to enhance them, you know, cellular anti-aging isn't going to change that. You still need to have some sort of enhancement done. So yeah. I think I think that what will happen is you'll start seeing these treatments become more of a um, adjunct to slowing down or eventually stopping the aging process on a cellular level. And you'll have these treatments to then enhance. Yeah, I have to say, have. I, I'm not pessimistic. I don't really care because hopefully I'll be retired in 20 years. But <laughs> I, I don't think, like you said, we'll be putting the plasters on anymore. I don't think putting the way the fillers. On? What do you mean? I don't think the way fillers and Botox are currently done will necessarily be needed in 20 years' time because, as well as anti-aging, we will probably be able to manipulate the stem cells to just grow the bone shape or whatever. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but. You know, what we're doing now is is rudimentary. It's kind of basic. Yeah, it's very rudimentary when you look at well, it's a really young industry. Yeah. Really young. I mean, look at what look at the cars. I mean, I know it's a bit of a crude analogy, but look at cars from a hundred years ago compared to now. Yeah. Um, the same thing's gonna happen with our still industry. burning fossil fuels. I have a Tesla. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Still, uh, but like, I guess they, they they still produce fossil fuels to make them. Yeah, well, and there's exactly. still have environmental impact on digging up lithium and all that kind of stuff. But it's a first step. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think you'll see them slowly moving closer and closer together, where you'll be treating people for both. So you might be a prescribing doctor that does administer these these sort of yeah. stem cell therapy treatments, or you 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 know you'll have I don't know. I mean, it's you. It's hard to know where it's going because it seems to be moving so rapidly. Even some of the offline conversations that we've had with with um, Dr. Liu about some of the stuff he's seen that we can't really talk about yet, but some of the interesting mm. advancements and technologies and products that do all sorts of wonderful things that are being studied in laboratories somewhere, but they're not far off. Yeah. We're, we're sort of well and truly down that down that path. Yeah, definitely. Um Yeah, I, I you know, I I've seen clinics try to incorporate nutritionists and it's hard. It's really hard, again, going back to patients kind of very clearly differentiating aging and yeah. aesthetics, but um, I think we'll see them bridging better as time goes on. Uh, together in one space? Yeah, um, even if, for example, the aesthetic component is done in the clinic and the optional component of anti-aging and, and nutrition is sort of done digitally or virtually where, where it's kind of an added on option if you want it. So yeah. you don't have to have it in house, but if you really want to take this to the next level, let's do a blood test. Let's yep. look at your hormone profile. Mm. Let's start wearing a glucose monitor. Let's mm -hmm. think about what your body's actually doing to yeah. create aging, yeah. which is essentially what we're treating with the fillers and the Botox. Yeah. Well, it's been, I think, I think they're looking at it now as a disease, actually. Yeah. Aging as a disease. Cause well, it's, it is, because inflammation it, and... It's fatal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we're all going to die, but we just want to slow it down so we can enjoy it more, I guess. 
Yeah. And not just aesthetically, functionally as yeah. well. I mean, what's the point in looking great if you can't get off your couch and go for a walk? That's <laughs> how know? I felt today. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a nice place to end, I guess, on our birthday, AJ. Yes, exactly. Um, so hopefully that was interesting, guys. I know it was sort of you know, a bit all over the place in some places, but I, I think it's where we are going. Yeah. Um, was there anything on there that's not what you agree with? No. I think it all uh, seems pretty common sense. It seems all think, pretty common sense. Yeah. It's a really good read. I know we've sort of distilled it down to a couple of sentences per chapter, but um, if I'm allowed, um, I'll try and work out a way of sort of getting the version to people. Yeah. Yeah. And what's ugh, two, episode 200's coming up soon. Can you believe it? 200. Wow. Well, I, th I think we've worked out a roughly fall in around February, depending yeah. on how consistent we are. But um yeah, it's not far off. Um, we do have a special guest lined up. Ooh, I know who it is, but I won't say. What I'm going to say is he said he will do it. Ooh. That's the only clue I'm going to give for now. <laughs> well, he's, he, we've been trying to get this person for a while. A um, couple of years, I think. I met him in Australia in 2019, and we've been speaking ever since. So this will be our most planned episode in some ways ever. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, no more much. clues. Yeah. No more Any, anything else we need to talk about? Anything um, we need to promote? Not really. Just to thank the Patreons for all of yes. their support. Again, uh, it's it's grown quite a lot actually yeah. in the last couple of months. And potentially we're going to tweak things in the future with our well, patrons. Yeah. We're looking at all, we're looking at, well, do you want to talk about the community Yeah, page? Let, let's sort of drip it in because it's coming yeah. basically. Well, let's announce it then. Um, yeah. So we're working on. on a side project that we're going to call the IA Community. Um this will stand alongside the podcast. It's nothing to do with yeah. the podcast, but it will not be an online platform yeah. on our website where hopefully what we aim to do is create a community, as the yeah. name suggests, where we pull together the world's best educational opportunities, yeah. services, providers, devices, whatever you can think of that might help your business or, or work as a clinic or as an injector. We want to pull everything under one roof, yeah. um, not just in Australia, but globally. Yeah. So it's a ambitious project yep. it will evolve over time it will grow over time people will come and go but we want to bring everything under one roof so our listeners can literally log in you'll have to log in and sign up but then basically you've access to almost like the black book of yeah. stuff yeah and there'll be special um we'll set up special agreements with various um contributors on the platform and try and get you deals that you can't get anywhere else um, so there's a value add from access to people. Yeah, yeah. Access to people, potentially even certain guests that have been on the podcast that you'd like to have a conversation with or get in contact with. We can help facilitate that. Lots of exciting stuff. So there's a lot of IT work and platform building that we need to embark on to get that done. So it's probably a few months away, but it is kind of where we're going. And then in relation to the business stuff, you know, some of our, um, we've got like a, a private WhatsApp group for our Patreons that contribute to us kindly every month. Thank you. We appreciate it. Um, we've had some pretty amazing feedback from some of the business episodes that we've done lately. And it's become more and more apparent that we focus a lot on the clinical side of things, but there's a lot of um, assistance needed on the business side of things. And I certainly don't know everything, but I've had quite a bit of experience and I've had a lot of people reach out to me for some private consulting work. But one of the things that um, has been su suggested to us is to create a potential another level of, of sort of Patreon membership where we potentially hold private Zooms with people that want to 
discuss business. So yeah. I'd potentially be looking to, to lead those conversations um, and get people to suggest- Something topic, a bit more regular. Yeah, topics they want to talk about, case studies, get advice and create like, you know, a little sub-community of people that want to get together and talk about their business issues or even if they don't want to contribute just to sort of sit there and listen and learn from other people's experiences because I've realised that I, I can't, I'm not going to have the bandwidth to talk to everyone, but if we can create something where we can at least get um, for- you know, relatively low amounts, you know, of commitment and, and money from people to um, contribute to our Patreon. But what we're looking to create is a platform that will allow more people to communicate with us, with me, with you, to learn from each other as, as a community rather than, you know, trying to talk to people one-on-one, which can be an issue from a bandwidth perspective. So yeah. I guess if you're interested in learning more about what we were going to be doing with the business side of things, or you potentially would be interested in becoming a Patreon member for that, um, send us a DM on our Instagram page. You can either DM um, myself directly or the Inside Aesthetics page. I don't update my Instagram there regularly, but I do check it. (laughs) I'm terrible (laughs) at posting Um, because we'd like to build that community. And it's not just about the clinical side. I think a lot of people feel lost on the business side of things as well. So if we can help you with that, and if you're interested and if you've got ideas or suggestions on how we can do it better, more efficiently, topics that you want to cover, please reach out. And then uh, in time, there'll also be more of a clinical yeah. component to the Patreon. Yes. So again, I'm open to ideas and and like David said, we can't do it ourselves or myself. So we'll potentially get um, some leading injectors yeah. to provide some content yeah. or sort of collaborate with yeah. us. Um, but we need to kind of know what you guys need. Yeah. There's no point in us just sort of, you know, deciding what you yep. need. We need to know what, what your barriers are, your your, yeah. your issues are from a technical perspective or a theoretical perspective with injecting. Yep. And the, the Patreon will grow as well. So yeah. not to sell ourselves too much, but please consider joining up for Patreon. Yeah. Or, yeah, or if you're interested in the new initiative, send us a message, let us know if you'd be keen or if you've got any ideas. And yeah, same for the business side of things as well. I would love to get people on who can give um, advice on their areas of expertise, whether that be, you know, reading financial documents, understanding what it all means, you know, what it looks like to potentially sell a business, people that are experts in HR and conflict resolution. So I certainly don't know at all. So we'll be reaching out to all of our networks to help provide more content and support for people because Perfect. we've got to do it. Someone's got to do it. Got to do it. So what are you going to do for your birthday? Let's end. So I'm going to have lunch with my mum and my grandfather, I think. Nice. Yeah. Today? Yeah, I'm going to go for lunch, so a late lunch somewhere. Where are you going to go? What's on the menu? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. It's a surprise. I don't know where I'm going yet. <laughs> okay, fair I'm enough. I'm not paying. That's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Um, well, happy birthday. And thanks for spending your morning with me. I know that's what you wanted to do. Ah, pleasure. Always a pleasure. Happy um, birthday, mate. And yourself. And I hope you enjoyed that, guys. Thank you. Take care. For our latest news, upcoming guests and episode topics, follow us on Instagram at Inside Aesthetics Podcast. Using the link in our Instagram profile, you can easily email us, text us, apply to be a guest on the show, follow our personal accounts on Instagram, and even show your love and support us on Patreon. 